if the prophet Jeremiah had access to today's music, I would guess he would have listened to the Soggy Bottom Boys quite a bit. I'm a man of constant sorrows. I've seen trouble all my days. If anyone could really sing that song from the heart, it was definitely Jeremiah. His life wasn't easy. His job wasn't easy. His job landed him in stocks, in prison, made a mockery of. He was sent to warn his fellow citizens about coming judgment. And he watched them ignore him and suffer. Not only did he watch them not listen to his message and suffer because of it, but he also suffered too. Because of them, ultimately, he also was taken off into captivity. Going through the book of Jeremiah, you don't find a whole lot of happy moments for this prophet. He didn't get to go home after a long day of work and unwind with his wife and his kids. He couldn't have any kids, and he wasn't allowed to be married. There weren't a whole lot of silver linings over the constant rain cloud overshadowing Jeremiah's life. We shouldn't be surprised when we see this man of God breaking down at times. Our passage this morning is one of those times. And Jeremiah reveals that he is a broken man. And reading through these verses kind of leaves you feeling sorry for him. Not only do we see Jeremiah's brokenness here, but we also see a broken people and a broken Lord. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 18 through 22, and learn from these broken people. And again, I'll invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. Jeremiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 18, reading in Jesus' name. My sorrow is beyond healing. My heart is faint within me. Behold, listen, the cry of the daughter of my people from a distant land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not within her? Why have they provoked me with their graven images, with foreign idols? Harvest is past, summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the brokenness of the daughter of my people I am broken. I mourn, dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why has not the health of the daughter of my people been restored? Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us in your truth here this morning. Open up our hearts and our minds and our ears to receive the message you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jeremiah is a broken man here. Why is he broken? I mentioned a couple reasons earlier, but what was it ultimately that finally broke him? Why does he say here that his sorrow is beyond healing? Why is his heart faint within him? Why is he in dismay? It's not just one reason. It's kind of a perfect storm of reasons. There's a couple of reasons that keep piling on top, one on the other, until eventually it becomes too much for this prophet to bear. Jeremiah was called in chapter 1 to pluck up, to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This message that the Lord had for him was predominantly a turn or burn message calling sinners out for their sin and calling them to repentance and faith. Jeremiah confronted people from all rungs of the social ladder, from the king to the priests, even to the kids. No one got a free pass from his rebuke. Think about this for a second. This is what Jeremiah was called to do, to confront people from their sin. When was the last time that you really truly enjoyed confronting someone? Even if it's over something tiny, like the color of their shirt. We don't enjoy confrontation. 
Now what about confronting someone for their sin? When's the last time we have enjoyed doing that for someone? It's never a pleasant thing to do. And yet this is what Jeremiah is called to do. This is what his life was about. He had the unpleasant task of confronting sinners in their sin. Why would that lead to the prophet's brokenness? He's calling down judgment on sinners. It's, it's almost our way of making sure that justice is served, isn't it? When we see sinners in their sin, we say, you deserve that and here's the reasons why. So change your ways. After all, they had it coming when they get punished for their own sin. Jeremiah isn't ministering here to a random group of people. He's not writing an anonymous letter to the editor for a local section in the newspaper. He's preaching to people. And he's preaching to people that he cares about. He's not just a wandering preacher. He cares for the ones who hear his message. If Jeremiah were just a wandering preacher, the people's response wouldn't mean much to him. Not much at all. He'd still get his paycheck as long as he did his job. And at the end of the day, he'd move on to the next group of people, the next crowd of strangers. But these aren't random strangers. These are the people that Jeremiah truly cares for and loves. The people Jeremiah is called to minister to are his own people, not just any king, his king, to his priests, to his friends and family members, to his neighbors, to his countrymen. Jeremiah is one of them, and he doesn't want to see them suffer. He doesn't want to see them broken. He doesn't want to see this message that he's proclaiming come true because he knows the pain and the heartache that comes for it. He cares for these people. Day in and day out, Jeremiah continues to be faithful to the Lord and continue to share this message. He never gives up on his people, no matter how difficult or unpopular that message is to proclaim. No matter how much it pains him to proclaim that message, no matter the results, where it ends, where it lands Jeremiah. However, his countrymen have given up on him. This is the last part of this perfect storm of grief that he has. All this suffering that they're about to experience that Jeremiah is calling down on them could have been avoided. Had the people just listened to the word of the Lord, had they just simply repented and turned from their sin. But other messages sounded more reasonable to them. Other messages sounded more acceptable. Other messages were easier to swallow. They were more beneficial for them. Even though Jeremiah preached the same message for decades, the response was still the same. Stubborn unbelief. He knew exactly what that meant for them. That they would be given over to the wrath of God. They would receive everything that their sin had earned for them. And so Jeremiah cries out. He says, My sorrow is beyond healing. My heart is faint within me. For the brokenness of the daughter of my people, I am broken. I mourn. Dismay has taken hold of me. Despite Jeremiah's faithful witness, despite God's message continuing to go forth, the people would not repent. And so they would not be healed. And Jeremiah sees the end result. And there's no amount of warning that's going to turn these, his fellow countrymen away. They're continuing headstrong, straight into destruction, completely oblivious, completely content, completely lost. Because of this, Jeremiah the prophet is broken. He provides a necessary example for believers today. 
When was the last time that you or that I was completely broken over the lost? It's easy for us to just forget about it, to ignore the fact that they too are eternal souls for whom Christ has died, to ignore the fact that God loves them unconditionally just as much as he loves you and he loves me, to ignore the role that God has called us to, to live among these people, to share with them the healing balm of the gospel. We are called to love and not to ignore. And this love, at the very least, ought to produce sorrow over the sin of others, brokenness over the sins of those around us, because we know where that sin will land them. They're not to spur us into action. To put it bluntly, we ought to care. Adding to the brokenness of Jeremiah here are the cries of the daughter of his people. In verse 19, Jeremiah records their cries for us. They say, Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not within her? The people cry, The Lord has abandoned us. What makes them say that? The realization that their hopes weren't based on reality and truth, but were based on a lie. The religious leaders at the time had been contradicting Jeremiah, opposing his message again and again and again, and ultimately opposing God's word. Whether it was based on being ignorant, of an ignorant hope that they had, that the future maybe is brighter than what Jeremiah was saying, or maybe it's based on diehard nationalism. It doesn't matter whatever the reason is, but what matters is that they were leading the people astray leading the people to trust in a lie. Rather than calling the people out for their sin and calling them to turn from their sin, they're condoning it, saying, it's okay, it's fine, don't ever change. Giving it the stamp of approval. And when the people ultimately found themselves surrounded and besieged, and when their food portions kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller, when people began to die of starvation, when those who fought the enemy were killed instead of delivering the people, what else were they to think other than the Lord has abandoned us? Is the king no longer here? The false hope was just revealed to be just that, false, empty. And in verse 20, says it well. Harvest is past, summer is ended, and we are not saved. As the reality of their situation unfolds, the people are left asking themselves, what happened? What went wrong? Why has God abandoned us? Their misplaced hope left them broken. And their misplaced hope distracted them from the real problem until it was too late. It distracted them from the real cause of their brokenness. But they were ultimately broken by their own sin. Sin always leads to brokenness and it breaks each and every one of us. We cover it up well, and we might never admit that to others. But the brokenness still remains. The world offers temporary fixes beyond measure. Band-aids that hide wounds but never cures them. So we find things that numb our pain, find things that distract us from the real brokenness that we have inside. Whether that's ignoring our sin, whether that's ignoring God's laws, or whether that's just plain old ignoring God. We find ways to comfort ourselves and to justify our actions. We find that we ourselves are no different than Jeremiah's audience here. The people in Jeremiah's day comforted, them, comforted themselves with lies, and it led them to their own demise. 
But what are the lies that we comfort ourselves with? What are the lies that we comfort ourselves with to not do what God has called us to do? To not care for those around us? I'm too busy. I don't have that gift. No one listened to me anyway. Or it's just a little sin. I'll make up for it later. It's not that big of a deal. We comfort ourselves with lies as well. But in these lives, there is no comfort. In verse 22, Jeremiah laments the fact that his people are not healed. He says, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has not the health of the daughter of my people been restored? God, why haven't we been healed? They've been searching for a cure in all the wrong places. All along, Jeremiah has been presenting the cure to them, calling them to apply the healing balm of the gospel. Healing their wounds with the wounds of Christ, but they would not. They threw away the only remedy for their sin and for their guilt because they didn't need it. Everything was fine. Their sin wasn't a problem. It wasn't that big of a deal. There's nothing that they couldn't handle on their own. Oh, the lies that we still fall for over and over again. The people's sin caused their own brokenness. They had no one to blame but themselves. The people's sin was also the source of Jeremiah's brokenness. And it was this people's sin that led to the brokenness of the Savior. In verse 19, we're given a glimpse of the Lord's response to the situation. He asks the question, Why have they provoked me with their graven images, with foreign idols? The Lord, too, has broken over their sin. And the Lord gets to the root of the sin issue here. Why wasn't he enough? Why weren't the people satisfied with him? What more did God need to do in order to be their Lord, in order that they would be satisfied with him? His people have abandoned him, the living God, and have turned instead to objects worth nothing, bowing down to statues that can't breathe, that can't provide food, that can do nothing for them. What more did God need to do? Why couldn't they remember the simplest commandment, you shall have no other gods before me? The Lord had every right to just end it right there, to give up on them, to say, enough is enough, you've had your chances, that's it, I'm done with you. To immediately send them all that their sin deserved, but instead he did something else. Instead he sent them the prophet, Jeremiah, who for decades delivered this message faithfully to them. The Lord continued to love them. He continued to reach out to them. He continued to reveal himself to them. And though it would grieve him, he disciplined them. All the while calling people back to himself. Desperately trying to get their attention to let them know where you're at right now is not okay. But God knew that that wouldn't be enough. He'd known from the beginning of time. He knows the true state of each one of our own sorry spiritual conditions. And each one of us is still born in sin. Even when eternity depends on it, we couldn't make the right choice to save our own lives because we're dead. We can't make that choice. We're utterly incapable of saving ourselves. We're utterly incapable of doing the right thing, utterly incapable of obeying God. So instead, God acted. And we heard how he acted this morning in our reading from 1 Peter chapter 3. For Christ also died for sins, once for all, 
the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He sent his Son to accomplish this salvation for us. Jesus himself identified with us, leaving the comfort and safety of heaven and instead taking on flesh and the brokenness and the fallenness that each one of us has, the frailty of human flesh. And he himself was broken and crucified for you. He died for our sins so that he could bring us to God, so that he could bring you, who continues to fight against the temptations that often plague you, and that you all too often give into over and over again, so that he could bring you, who's so caught up in your own little world that you don't have time to care for the lost ones around you, so that he could bring you, who have no care in the world for God, so that he could bring you, who continues headstrong into sin, so that he could bring you, who are comforting yourself with lies, and you who feel that life isn't worth living anymore, so that he could bring you, sinner, to God so that he could reconcile us to the Father because there was no other way to do it. And so God himself was broken, as the word declares. But not only was he broken, but he was made alive again and he was healed and raised to new life. And this same healing he offers to each one of us, to all who are broken, to all who have been crushed by the law of God and who realize their own sinfulness. He points us to the brokenness of Christ and to his suffering and death. And he shows us his wounds, which have paid the debt for your sins. And he shows us the risen Savior who has been healed. And he offers to us this new life and this healing in Christ, the healing balm that we all so desperately need to cure the wounds that we can't cure is Christ. This morning as we gather together here as a congregation, we have the opportunity to remember again our broken Savior who is broken for our sin. And to those who are broken, who realize their own sin, who desire to repent of it and to turn to Christ, who seek forgiveness, to those broken sinners, he graciously offers to us one of the gifts that we get to take every month in his body and blood, which was broken for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. And he calls us to receive these gifts of grace for our salvation, for our healing, for our own encouragement and strengthening, that we would continue to do the work that God has called us to do. There is a balm to cure your deepest wounds, and that balm is Christ. And there is a balm to cure the deep wounds of your neighbors as well, and it's the same balm, Christ who died to save each and every one of us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for your word that it's true. We thank you that you were broken for us so that you could heal us broken sinners. Father, we pray that you would help us to apply this healing balm of the gospel to our own lives through your word, through your grace, and Lord, also to apply this truth to those around us who are broken as well. I pray, Lord, that you'd continue to reveal your Son to us, reveal your grace to us, to continue to call us back to you. Thank you that you don't give up on us. And Father, we pray that you would be with those who don't know you today, that they would come to know you as their crucified and risen Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.